Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Good morning, church. Yay, that's, that's what I want to hear every Sunday. Ah, praise the Lord. Worship so, was so good. Uh, it's kind of weird. You were part of it, so I don't have to tell you. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. But I was like, I, I, guys, when we worship like that, our hearts are washed. The Spirit of God moves. The, the Word, the, the, the gifts of God is being activated. Angels come and serve. You, you can't get it online. All right, so if you're listening to me right now at the record, you got to come to this church. And all God's people said, Amen. you heard that guys online, all right? So it, something's happening here. I received a prophecy. Sister Nancy came to me and laid her hands and prophesied. And it was, I almost fell right there. I was like, that was awesome, man. Oh. All right, Dennis, start preaching now. We're in the middle of this series called The Gospel of God, and it's based on the book of Romans. This phrase is actually found in the book of Romans in the very beginning. And Paul, in the very beginning of that epistle, he says, I'm all about the gospel. I'm the gospel boy. I used to be this, now I'm, all I know is the gospel. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the church in Rome. And we remember historically the church of Rome was an interesting group of people. It was one congregation composed of two distinct groups of people. Believers from Gentiles and believers from Jewish people. And there was some tension between them. And there was some uneasiness between them. And some of the history amplified that as we know. So please, if you're here for the first time and you're kind of in the middle of this message in the middle of this series, come to our website, listen to the previous messages, begin to read the book of Romans, and you will see a lot of interesting things. <clears throat> but by now we know that Paul wanted to rescue those Roman believers, both Jewish and non-Jewish, from their bondage to religion and to lead them into experiencing God as their good father. Paul didn't want religion for them. But religion often stops you, hinders you from experiencing the reality of God as a good father in your life. And he wanted to make sure religion is gone, relationship come. Good father who gives himself to be their life and their enjoyment. He wanted them to understand God's salvation, that it is of pure grace. It is a gift. And we, both Neil and I, we have stressed it so many times. We have to nail it down. It is a gift of God. It is not of yourself. In fact, your efforts to add something of yourself kills it. So you need to get established in the fact that it is a gift. Some people are so proud. Every time you try to give them something, they go, I'm not a charity. You are a charity. Amen. Suck it up, dude. I'm sorry. That's what Paul is telling them in the first three chapters. He said, the goodness of God revealed. And he begins to talk about the wrath, condemnation. We covered all of that. Now Paul comes to the good side. Finally, he begins to speak of a good news. And Neil did a great job last week talking about how the blood of Jesus removes 
any and every guilt. Erases condemnation. Makes you as white as snow on a sunny morning in the middle of winter. You come and go, whoa! That's how angels see you. And God says, come to me. He sees a child, beloved child of God. So, so Paul is doing that to this congregation. He's leading them out of religion into relationship. And he's doing it brilliantly. And he has to walk on shelves a little bit because those guys are, you know, they know the Bible. And they are convinced in certain things. And he, he was that way before. God knocked him out of the horse, did some good work on him, did some good work in him, and now he looks at the Bible differently. And he needs to lead those guys through the same process, right? Can you hear me okay? Sometimes I have a tendency to speak too softly. Neil criticizes me for that, so <clears throat> I'll try to be more even. <clears throat> so, and Paul, being brilliant, takes them back. He takes them back to the very beginning. Before there was a nation of Israel, before there was a temple, before there was anything that you would call Judaism, before there was a Bible, before there was a circumcision, before there was Moses, before there was a temple or sanctuary, there was one man called by God by the name of Abraham. Abraham, and he takes them right there to the very beginning, and he uses Abraham as an example of somebody who received the grace of God and who received the gift of justification by faith. And what is Abraham is known for? Was he a great teacher? No. He was someone who responded to God's call by simple faith. And that started his journey. And Paul takes Abraham that they were very familiar with. They knew the story in and out. And he points to him and he says, guys, look at Abraham. That's not a story of religion. That's not a story of someone who formed in your religion. It's a story of someone who had God come to him, spoke to him. And this person responded. And that triggered something that changed the course of his life and the course of the entire history. He was called into the purposes of God. And then he says an amazing thing. He says, Abraham's story is your story. It's not just for you. That's the thing. Today there are two camps of Christians. One camp loves the Bible and is afraid of experiences. And they tell whoa, 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 whoa. Trying to experience God is tricky, dangerous, and whatever. So we better study the Word. But if you read the Word for what it is, you will realize the Word is basically a bunch of stories of people encountering God and experiencing God. So we do not study some dude that had some experience with God just for the sake of knowing it. We are reading what's available for us. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's talking about Abraham, but then he says, hey, listen, Abraham's story is your story. It's a story of someone who has real experience of God in their life. And that changed, again, as I said, the course of his own personal history and the history of the world. So, who was Abraham? I have already said that. Man, sometimes I just preach and then I look at my sermon notes and oh, I already said that. Uh, <laughs> so now I need to catch up with my notes here. 
So in the beginning, what? So Abraham, remember, how many of you have read the, 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 the book of Genesis? How many of you re remember the story of Abraham? If you haven't done it, find time this week. And it's, it's found in chapters 12 through chapters 25, I believe. That's a story. And by the way, that's, I mean, these are kind of random notes, but they, they're very helpful when you study the book of Romans. Paul speaks to the group of people, both Gentiles and Jews, who know their Bible very well. Even those Gentiles, because the Bible was translated. Remember that Greek translation called Septuagint? They knew their Bible, even those, even those Gentiles. That's why you cannot understand the book of Romans without knowing some of the stories from the Old Testament. It's just impossible. It's, it's replete with quotations and allusions to the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we read the story of Abraham. And Abraham, he basically is known for faith. That, that was his response to God appearing to him and speaking to him. But if you, I don't want you to think of Abraham as a powerful, mighty, giant of spiritual walk with God that became such person overnight. It never happened. If you read the Bible, Bible is a very realistic book, right? It's not like some other religious books that portray very unrealistic pictures. Abraham's faith was fickle. Abraham's faith was little. Abraham was not a giant of faith. But that is the coolest thing. Just this little tiny faith of Abraham. He's basically, yes, Lord, I'll try, was enough to declare him righteous. So, dude, I'm telling you, I, I should stop using this word, dude. I'm using it too much. Give me an equivalent. No. Friend. Oh, friend. Yeah, that sounds, is it? Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> Let's not get distracted. So, friends, <laughs> beloved, <laughs> your little fickle, yes, Lord, I'll try, is enough to trigger, to launch to start the process that will change the direction of your life forever and through you it will affect everybody around you because this is the call not just for you to be saved from your sins you know when when you read that story of Abraham you don't see this religious talk about Abraham how about this sin of yours you lied to Pharaoh you did this you're not oh, oh, oh God forgive me please there's none of that crap He said, Abraham, depart. Leave behind anything that you know and I will usher you into something of me. And we will have fun changing the face of the world. What was the promise given to Abraham? What was he to receive from God? The son of promise that he couldn't ha have in natural the land that he couldn't have in natural. And we see this line with a point A when God appears to Abraham for the first time. And Abraham's faith is very fickle, very weak. But he says, yes, Lord, I'll try. And in the middle, we see the, a lot of experiences with God through which he came to know God as someone that he calls God who calls things that don't exist as they exist, as though they exist. He calls him God who raised people from the dead. He began the 
And, oh my goodness, I need to get my, to my nose. I'm getting excited. I'm getting all over the place. So I, I get a... So in the beginning, his faith was not that great and it was not complete, just like yours. It's fine. You know, this line of the story of Abraham with point A in the beginning when God appeared to him and point B when he received the promise and his faith is called unwavering. Unwavering. That's your story and you're somewhere in this line today. All of you are at different points. And some of you might even, haven't even touched point A yet. And I invite you to do that. How do you do that? You receive Jesus by sinful faith. By just saying, yes, Lord. Okay, I'll try that. I thank you. I want to receive you into my heart, into my life. Let's try it. Let's give it a try. In fact, when I preach the gospel on individual level, I always say, hey, here's my guarantee. Invite Jesus into your heart. And if within one month, God does not become real to you, throw the Bible and call me a liar. I've never seen, I've never had somebody who demanded the refund. <laughs> so, so that was Abraham. I mean, that, when I was getting ready, I mean, and, and again, guys, it's not an excuse, but I slept only for hour, four hours. My sermon sounded really good in my head. I don't know how it will come out. It doesn't matter. God will use it for my humility or whatever. <clears throat> So God has been patiently, we see in the stories of Abraham that God has been patiently training and growing Abraham to finally embrace his God's plans and purposes. Abraham was to become a true believer, a father of faith. To believe, guys, is to receive a gift, a grace. To receive grace from God. To believe God is to receive God's gift. Not to buy it from Him, not to work for it, but to receive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying being a charity. That's fine. <clears throat> and it was the most difficult lesson for Abraham, as we can see. From his fickle faith to the point when his faith is cold and wavering, he's gone through this process that is very experiential. And the gospel is an invitation into the same process. So, do you remember the story of Abraham? He tried to bargain with God. He tried to contribute to that. I keep looking at Neil. Neil, get away from there. <clears throat> he said, I'm preaching to Neil. Hi, guys. I haven't seen you before. So good that you came. Wonderful. <laughs> and people at online, they wondered, like, who's he talking to? I don't know. Come and you'll know. So, yeah, let me get back to my notes. I don't want to be lost. Remember that story? So Abraham said, hey. I'm leading you there. You're going to have a son. And this unique son will produce a nation. And you'll have so many descendants. More than the stars in heaven. More than the grains of sand at the shore of the sea. And one day they will fill this world. And this world will become my kingdom. And the glory of God will come. And I will be manifested through them. And Abraham said, okay, Lord, let's try. And then nothing was happening for a while. And then he started coming up with plans. He said, Lord, how about, I know, I know you told me, son, but it's not happening. And it looks like, <clears throat> excuse me, that Sarah and I, we're kind of getting out of this age when we can have kids. How about Eliezer? He had a servant, very faithful, good servant. And God said, mm -mm. okay, plan B. How about who was next? 
Hagar. That's right. Sarah came up with this brilliant idea. Hey, Abraham, how about we like make it look like I had a baby? So this woman will be pregnant, but when it's time to give a baby a birth, she will give a birth to my lap, so we'll act like it was mine. Every son looked, well, I don't know, honey, but let's give it a try. God said no. <clears throat> so finally, Abraham reached the point when he basically came to the end of himself. And that's your and my story. We start with a fickle faith. We start with this weak acknowledgement that God is calling us. And we say, yes, Lord, okay, I'm not sure, but let's give it a try. And then we begin to come up with ideas. We try to capitalize on opportunities and uh, probabilities. But God is calling you not to believe in probabilities. God is calling you to believe in the impossible. God, I'll say it again, God is not calling you to utilize, to capitalize on probabilities in your life and call it the will of God. God is calling you into something that is impossible to pull off on your own. Let it sink. All right? <laughs> <clears throat> okay, I, I need to get back to Romans, all right? <laughs> somehow, somehow I'll get you there. Okay. So I'll just force myself to go right back into Romans right now. So Abraham said that, I mean, Paul said that Abraham's story is your story, and he does it in chapter 4, the very end of chapter 4. So let's read what he says about it. Chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. And that's pretty much by the end of it. So Abraham was declared by God as righteous when? In the very beginning. His faith was very far from being perfect. Very weak. Very wavering. He did a lot of messy things after that. But God called him righteous based on his response of faith. At the end of the story, his faith is called unwavering his faith is called faith in God who does the impossible so let's read some of the things from Romans chapter 4 against all hope verse 18 against all hope Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of so many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. That's fine. I mean, there are no probabilities left. And some of you are like, ah, because God is leading you to the place when there are no probabilities left so that you can receive a pure grace of God. You hear what I'm saying? No probabilities left. I was at this church five years ago. There was skeleton crew people and a very hard to follow worship leader. I don't want to be critical. He tried. He's, he's a great guy. But, but, but Neil said, God spoke to me and people came to Neil and said, you know, sometimes it's just okay to recognize that the church is dead. Let's just put the end of it. Let's just close the doors. Admit that it was a failure. And just called that there is no more such church. And Neil cried out to God. And he said, God spoke to me. And he said, the new beginning is coming. 
and the building will be packed and God will move mightily. And that sounds to me like something I just read from the story of Abraham. And that's your and my story. So God has never called you or me to be a study, to, to be students of the word of God that has nothing to do with your life. God has called us to, to study the Bible, to know what to expect as an experience with God. And this church is an experiential church. It's, it's ushers you into experience. So if you want to play it safe, don't come to this church. Go somewhere else. But if you want God to challenge you like he did Abraham, if you want God to take you out of the safety, out of the uh, safety zone, how do you call it, comfort zone, into unknown, into uncharted territory where God becomes more and more real and now you know God and I, but by experience, experientially, then come to this church. All right? I guess I can't preach without a message. I mean, with, without notes. So he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded. We see a weak guy in the beginning who says, yes, Lord, I'll try. Can I drag my father with me? God says, mm-mm, father died. He got stuck. Father died. He moved on. Can I get my nephew with me? He said, mm-mm. And then they had an argument and nephew had to go. And finally it was just him and Sarah. And he's afraid. Sarah is so beautiful. He was afraid his life is in danger. He doesn't trust God. You see, I'm so glad that it's all written down because I'm just like that. You're just like that. Don't act like you're a cool hero of faith. You're just like Abraham. But God loves you. And God called you. And God sees your little tiny yes to him as a huge thing that can change anything and everything. And he will grow you, just like he did with Abraham. And you will become someone whose faith will not waver through unbelief. But you will believe the promises of God. And you will give the glory of God to God. And you will be fully persuaded that God has power to do what he promised. This why it was credited to him as righteousness. But Paul doesn't stop here. He uses Abraham as an example of how justification of faith works. And he says that just like it was with Abraham, it is with us. Let me find the scripture. Romans 4, 23 through 25. Paul continues. It was credited to him and it was written not for him alone, but for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death. Jesus was delivered to death for our sins. That's what we did today where we took the bread and we took the cup. We declared what we believe and this faith is enough for God to begin to move in your life in your circumstances, for you to begin to experience God. Not just to talk about, not just to think about God, but to experience God, to have an experiential knowledge of Him. And it's based on justification carried out through the sacrifice of Jesus. Just like in the story of Abraham, we see these two points. 
Jesus has done something. We believed it. We responded to it. And God began to move. And he moves and we move along with him. And we're moving to that point when we are able to receive everything he wants to give to us and to impact the world through us. Amen. I know I'm saying the same thing many, many times, but it's okay. It needs to sink into us. Gosh. I'm going to skip that because I've said it already. So let me ask you a question. What moved Abraham from this partial weak faith into the place when his faith is unwavering? Who said that? I heard that. <laughs> Somebody said experience. Exactly. Exactly. When you hear the gospel, you respond, your heart resonates, you might experience joy, and you want to, and God requires you to respond to that. And you respond, and if you say yes, your journey begins. Your journey begins. And this journey exactly what, what is described in chapter 5. I'm not going to do the whole chapter 5. It's impossible. It's a big chapter. I'll just read the first 11 verses. Paul describes experiential knowledge that takes place in your life after you receive Jesus. Based on his reconciliation, on his redemption that he has accomplished. Let's read it. We, we begin in chapter 5. Paul announces the foundational fact of the gospel, and then he describes how we experience God on the basis of this foundational fact. Let's, let's read the scripture, beginning from verse 1. Therefore, I'm using NIV translation, New International Version. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have been justified. Please pay attention to tenses when Paul writes something. A lot of things are written in the past tense, perfect past. We have been justified through faith. Now we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast. Another translation renders it, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is packed with meaning. It's not yada, yada, yada. It's not blah, 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 grace, blah, 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 God. It's packed with meaning. You have been justified. You're declared righteous. You're acquitted. There is no guilt, no condemnation. And now as a result of this, you have access into the grace. You've been translated, transferred into the realm, new realm. Realm where God is your good father, willing to pour out his love and pour out his grace upon you. And let you experience it first in your heart. And then experience it in the circumstances of your life. I don't want anything else. I don't want just talk about God and never experience Him. Through whom we have gained access. We have gained access. We don't need to gain it again. We need to stand in it. It says specifically we stand in it. It's almost a military term. Almost like a Take a stand. Take, stand your ground. Like, don't let the enemy take you out of there. Stay there. If you put your trust in Jesus, you have been justified. This removes the guilt, erases condemnation, washes you from every sin, clothes you in the robe of righteousness. 
We used to have restaurants where you can't come if you wear shorts. You have to be dressed up adequately. I don't think they have them anymore. But there are places, for example, if the president of the United States would invite you to some kind of a reception, you can't come just like you are today, most likely. Oh, maybe you can. I know Derry can. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you have been justified and you have obtained access to God's grace. Now you have to stand it. If you stand in God's grace, you will have following experiences. That's experiential. Verse 2, boasting or rejoicing over the glory, over the hope of the glory of God. Gain access by faith into His grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I need to say a couple of words about the word hope in English and in Russian. And I, I know a few other languages, not very well, but enough to. The word hope can be very weak. It, mean, it, it actually can mean your wishful thinking. Well, I hope, I hope so, you would say. That usually means I'm not sure, I'm not confident. Biblical word hope is actually very different. Biblical word hope means a firm expectation based on something substantial. What is it? Abraham learned to trust God just hearing his word first. And all of his circumstances yelled against it, but he learned to rely, to lean on this word more and more. And ultimately, he gets to the point when it became a firm expectation that God is going to accomplish what he has done. Glory of God. What's glory of God? God can never cease to exist. No matter what you're going through, he's there. But sometimes he manifests himself. And that means that's often described as manifestation of his glory he begins to shine so that's your and my life we stepped into this journey now we rejoice expecting God to manifest not just someday ultimately at the end of the history yes there will be an ultimate expression of God's glory but even now in this mortal bodies we expect God to manifest himself on a regular basis. All right? I hear a lot of amens from that side. I, I guess I, I'm, I preached to that side. And it, it's growing now. It's growing. Now I need to plant some seeds here. <laughs> All right. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay. I've said about hope and so joy is always connected with this firm expectation that God is going to manifest His glory in your life. Joy does not depend on your circumstances. In fact, if we continue to read the scripture, let's keep reading. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produces perseverance. I wish I could preach the message uh, that would be sugar-coated message that if you receive Jesus, you will never have painful experiences in your life. But that would not be true. That would not be true to the Bible. That's not the promise of the gospel. What are the tribulations or like, what does it say here? Uh, sufferings, sufferings, painful experiences, hardships, financial, relationship. Some of you are going through them right now. 
And some of you are praying, God deliver me from them. But here's the promise of the gospel. You can glory right in the middle of that. And you can know that this is an invitation to come to the new level of faith. And to the new level of hope. And that's actually how we grow. Because sufferings can make you very bitter, hurt person that would hurt others. If you don't have access to the grace of God. But if you have access to the grace of God, those wounds that you experience, those wounds that are inflicted on your soul become something beautiful. You know, I, I, I kind of jump all over the place, but the ultimate consummation of God's glory is described in the Bible as a new city, New Jerusalem. Do you know the gates of that city are made of what? Pearl. What is pearl? Pearl is amazing, but how is pearl produced? Everything else is like gemstones, but the, the gate, the entry point is pearl. Pearl is produced through his suffering of a living creature. An oyster gets a grain of sand that cuts through it and it hurts. But it begins to secrete this, I don't know how you call those juices, live juices, and it covers it and it becomes a beautiful pearl that, it, that is so attractive. You know what? When, <laughs> when you and I, just like Abraham, we go through life circumstances that are maybe painful, but we receive the supply of life that is, that, that is, that is covering, that is washing, that is comforting, that is consoling our souls. Those wounds become those pearls that becomes attractive to people. And they're not attracted to you. They're attracted to Jesus through you. You become a pearly gate into the reality of God's glory. Does it make sense what I'm saying? I had no plans to say that. It just came to me right now. So maybe some of you needed to hear that. Neil will criticize me later. So, guys, I mean, I know nobody wants pain, nobody wants suffering, nobody wants uh, uh, hardships and difficulties and tribulations. But here's God's promise. You don't have to be overcome by them. You don't have to be overwhelmed by them. You'll go through it and you'll come out on the other side as a different person. More of Jesus will be built into you. More attractiveness of Jesus will be shining through you. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that already? Yes. Yes. Oh, guys, it's so beautiful. This is, this is the gospel as an experiential thing, not just some doctrine about justification by faith. The doctrine of justification by faith is, is the beginning point so that you would enter into this journey with God when you become transformed and you become the entry point into God's reality for many people around you. We are called out of the futile life into the life of significance and purpose. And it's going to be painful, but it's going to be amazing. Does this make sense? Yeah. All right. Good, 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 good. The love of God is preached in many places, but the experience of this love in your heart becomes very real when you go through some of those. How, how can you, let's say you're going through a difficult time right now, how can you trigger, how can you start this process of receiving this life supply 
so that you wouldn't become bitter and hurt, but would become better and shining. You do it through returning to the message of the cross. Verses from 6 through 11. Paul says, here's what's happened. When you are in your tribulation, think this way. Think this way. Change your mindset. We're going to do a series of messages, Neil and I, about the biblical mindset, about bibl transformation of thinking. Please be there because we all need that. And he says, your transformation begins by following this pattern. You see, you got to see that at the right time, verses from 6 to 11, you see that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that's the logic, Christ died for ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for us. I called this verse, I already called it previously, PDA, God's PDA. You know what PDA? Public display of affection. The cross of Jesus is the public display of affection for you. God never liked a better version of you. He loved you the way you were before you even heard the gospel. He was willing to die for you even before you did anything that would resemble your willingness to come to Him. He loves you so much. And I shared this story before, and you heard it from me, but maybe some of you didn't. But I'm going to use it again. Last year, Pastor Neil got contacted by this weird person, like out of the blue, random person by, on Facebook through the messenger. Boom! You know how it happens. And usually he said, I don't respond to those. But this time he said, I felt a nudge to see who it is. And he looked at it and the message was, Neil Haney, are you the one that was a chaplain at a jail system in Clark County many, many years ago? And Neil said, yes, that's me. He said, you might not remember me, but I was one of the inmates years ago when you were just a ch How many years ago was that? 35 years ago. So you were ministering to us in jail and you told me one thing and that was my first time in jail back then. After that I came out and I did a lot of horrible things and I came back to jail many many times. But this first time when I was in jail you told me this thing. He said, brother Jesus loves you so much. How about you take it as, as a useful exercise. Every single time you see Anything cross, like wires or the pattern on the tile on the floor, anything, any, anything that resembles cross. Every time you see it, just know that's God telling you, I love you. And he said, Pastor, this has never left me. All through these years, going through all these horrible things, Every single day, multiple times a day, I saw the cross. I love you. I saw the cross. I love you. I saw the cross. I love it. And he said, finally, I got to the point when I surrendered. And now I'm a changed man. The Spirit of God fills me. Hey, guys, this is, this is the mindset that God wants us to, to, to adopt, to, to nurture in ourselves, to know, to be confident, to be established in the in the knowledge that nothing can waver, that God loves me. How do I know? 
the cross of Jesus. Cross of Jesus was done for me while I was still a sinner. I was still an enemy. And he continues, he says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more? This phrase is used many times through chapter 5. How much more? The gospel is not just a teaching about what God has done. There is much more for you. There is much more for me. How much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, the salvation of God has two aspects to it. One is judicial. God had to deal with our sins, with our guilt, with our condemnation. And he did it through the cross. He did it through the blood. But then he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again from the dead. God raised him up. And it says that God became life-giving spirit. And this life-giving spirit is poured into your heart when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And now this becomes your listen to this experiential reality in your life it doesn't matter what you're going through God is going to become real in your heart more and more and more and this reality is going to trump any negative reality of your life it's going to become more real than anything else thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this message for more information about our church visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge